Link building is constantly voted as one of the most challenging parts of SEO. That's why today I've brought in Jason Malone, founder of We Outreach, to break down exactly how he gets links for his clients. Jason has sent millions of outreach emails over the years, and he really knows what he's talking about. We'll go super deep into his processes and systems, and there's a ton of value bombs in this one. Just before we get started, I want to make a few announcements though. First, today, that's Monday 29th of April 2019, it's the final day of our link building giveaway. If you want to grab $6,700 worth of link building goodies, tools, and resources, make sure that you go to authorityhacker.com slash giveaway. That's giveaway, all one word. And many of the tools which we're actually giving away are going to be mentioned in today's podcast. So extra bonus there. You might also notice that on the giveaway page, we're giving away early access to our brand new link building course. This is an advanced link building course, and it's going to be an absolute game changer when it's released. And I can confirm exclusive to you lovely podcast listeners that the release date will be this Sunday. That's Sunday, 5th of May, 2019. If you want to be among the first to get it, make sure you are subscribed to our email list. To do that, go to authorityhacker.com forward slash subscribe. And there will be a special bonus that you won't want to miss out on. So without further ado, here's my interview with Jason Malone to talk about outreach link building. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Welcome to the show, Jason Malone. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Mark. So can you start by just introducing yourself and sort of telling us, telling our audience rather, what, what you do? Yeah, sure. Like you said, my name is Jason. I'm from Ireland, although currently living in Budapest. Probably what I'm most known for is having a link building service. And yeah, I also have some affiliate websites, quite a bit of experience with affiliate websites as well, and mostly focused around SEO, at least in recent years. Uh, but probably the last year and a half, two years has been focused on the link building service. But generally, yeah, I, I do SEO things and, and build links is probably uh, the summary. Budapest, ah, such a great city. What what made you decide to move there? Uh, yeah, uh, a lot of things, I guess. I mean, so I met you and, and Gail in, in Chiang Mai and we talked about Budapest quite a lot. Uh, but I was also just looking for a place to to go like to to get out of Ireland just for a bit of a change and I think this city has like pretty great package overall like it's a lot cheaper than Ireland is one thing and also as I learned from you guys the uh, tax is a lot more efficient here or just lower tax basically on dividends from companies so that's pretty nice as well I'll still be on Irish tax for the rest of the year I think but uh, after that uh, yeah that should be a, a nice advantage and also as well, there's just like, I think it's a popular city for kind of people in our circles. There's a lot of internet marketers come through, especially in summer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and so that, that's, that's nice as well. And beautiful women here just as well. And uh, another, another nice point. But uh, yeah, I think, I think overall it's, it's a really nice package. 
Cool. So let's get sort of into your backstory a bit. What? How did you get into online marketing? What did you do before that? So I've been doing online marketing for probably seven or eight years now. I can remember I first started messing around with like SEO and affiliate sites in 2010 or 2011, something like that. It wasn't super successful back then. Like I was still in university and just kind of messing around really. Did make some money, especially over the summers when like on, on university break. But I was kind of always looking for a way to not have to do like a, a traditional nine to five kind of job. And I used to do things online like there's a game, World of Warcraft. I think you know it and a lot of people know it, but I used might to heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used to try and uh, sell gold in that game. So I had like bots that would like automatically play the characters for you and accumulate gold. And then you could sell that on websites and that kind of thing. It wasn't a great money maker, but I guess it was kind of my first steps into trying to find something online. So was being a World of Warcraft gold farmer your first proper job then, or did, were you doing something else at the time? Well, no, I mean, I, I was in university at the time and I also had like a part-time job then, like working with my dad. He has like a local coal delivery business in Ireland, which is not a super common business, I guess, but basically it's delivering coal off a truck to people's houses so that they can burn the coal, the coal in their like home fire. So I was doing that as well, but also like trying to work online and, and or figure something out online. And after World of Warcraft, I, I somehow got into online poker for, I don't know, like a year or something like that. And it went okay. But when I was doing that, I found that there was a lot of people who did online poker who also did some sort of affiliate marketing. There was like, there's an overlap between those two audiences, I think, because I guess there's a lot of similarities, like they're both online and they're both kind of i guess logical things as well like you're i guess it, like with poker it's all about probability and trying to make investments you know in turn like when you bet on a poker table it's essentially an investment and it's based on your probability of making a positive return on that investment and i think there's a lot of similarities between that and internet marketing like whether it's uh, like with paid traffic or with seo you're trying to do some analysis and come up with what are my chances of returning a, a positive or having a positive return on this investment and then making your investment. And then, yeah, and it's, it's all online. And there's a lot of times as well, it's like you're not dealing with clients or, or talking to anyone. It's just kind of your own thing and, and you're working online and you can kind of do it whenever you have a chance, like if you can only work in evenings or whatever. That's really interesting, actually. I, I know quite a few online poker players, actually, from Budapest as well. And also quite a, quite a few people who play online games or played online games. Myself and Gail, obviously, back in the day, were, were pretty into to various games as well. But it seems like something that co- that's in common between all those those activities is like the grind, right? You, you have to sit there and just like churn away in a, a, like a, a small task kind of on a very repetitive basis before you start to kind of like build up experience and like figure out what you're doing and, and, and really kind of get anywhere i think it takes a certain mindset to be able to have that longer term goal and not just be kind of i don't know what the word is but not not be expecting like instant results or instant rewards you you have that kind of longer term mindset about you know you will be rich but it might take you a few years kind of thing versus i don't know someone who you know has a typical job and is just like looking for the salary at the end of the week kind of thing 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think you're right. And it was something that was uh, like, they're all very similar, like you say. And if you can sit down at a, a computer for like six or seven hours and just put on your headphones and listen to some music and, ju and just grind it out, I think like, yeah, you can have similar levels of success with like whether it's poker or online marketing or if you want to like dominate EVE Online or World of Warcraft or something like that, I guess you can do that as well. I wouldn't recommend it though, especially that last one. Yeah, me neither. What led you specifically into to link building? Because that's kind of what you've become, I guess, known for these days in the community. In between my first foray into SEO back in like whenever it was, 2010 or 11, I actually had a period of like three years, I guess, where I was doing uh, paid traffic, still affiliate marketing, but with paid traffic. So uh, I've done a, a lot of Facebook paid traffic to affiliate offers. And then also other things like I used to work with some guys and we spent uh, quite a lot of time and money as well on like uh, native ad networks doing like arbitrage. And the thing with all those paid traffic models is they're really like for one week you might do well and then something changes and suddenly your campaigns don't work anymore and you just start from like zero again and, and try and build back up and, and find new campaigns and stuff like that. So you're, you're basically constantly rebuilding your business from scratch. Yeah, yeah constantly, especially with, with Facebook, like you get accounts banned and it's like one day you have six accounts and you're making like several thousand dollars a day. And then the next day you make like literally zero. So like you can't take a day off it's kind of difficult to, to outsource this kind of stuff and especially trying to hire staff when you don't exactly know how much revenue is going to come in and all kinds of issues with that. And so, yeah, during that time, I eventually became aware of like, or aware again of, of SEO and authority websites in particular. Like I remember one of the guys I was working with actually sent me authorityhacker.com and that is kind of where it all started. And so then I got back into SEO and as I was learning SEO and affiliate marketing and, and what it takes to, to rank in Google and kind of just experimenting with all those different things, I found that I was pretty good at, at link building. Just, I think it suits my mindset. Like it's link building, like there's a lot of different types of software you can use and, and automation and you can kind of put nice processes together. And that suited me for some reason. And I just found that when I was doing it myself for my own websites, that was the part that I was I was the best at and that I liked the most as well. And then it started to click with me as I started to get to know more people, particularly like in the Authority Hacker Pro group and just other SEO guys. I started to realize that link building is a challenge for most people and most people don't like it. And then I was like the opposite of that. Like most people, it seems like they really like doing content and design for their websites but they just struggle with link building for some reason or, or they just don't like it. And I was the complete opposite. And so, yeah, it, it just kind of seemed like like a, a natural fit for me. What, why do you think that is that, that people tend to struggle with it? Could it be because it's kind of this uh, creative versus logical mindset and maybe the people who are more creative aren't, aren't, don't have the, the right mindset to, to structure the process or, or is it something else? It could be a bit of that, yeah. But it could also be the fact that it's like I can understand it. It's a little bit intimidating. And it was for me when I started as well, because when you're working on your website, it's it's like you just sit down and you work on your content and you put your design together and it's all nice and easy and you kind of go at your own pace. And it's all just like you and your screen kind of. 
And when you actually start doing outreach, you're actually contacting real people. And I don't know, like you get a lot of like negative responses as well. And I, I think generally it's just stressful uh, and maybe people feel as well about like that they're sort of putting their work out there in a very direct way by like emailing people and saying like, hey, check out my content. And when you do that, obviously you have to do it to be able to build links, but it's also like you also make yourself a little bit vulnerable in some way, like to criticism. And I, I think some people just don't like that really. And I think as well, like generally with link building, especially like with the style that I do and, and that you guys do like outreach link building, the success rate in, in terms of like the conversion rate from campaigns is quite low. And I think there's a lot that goes into optimizing an outreach link building process like that. And I think people get discouraged by their like low success rate at the start and they don't really stick with it long enough to actually totally flesh out, out the system and, and actually give it a long enough time running for the results to actually to actually come in. So I'd say it's probably a, a combination of, of those two things, just from what I can see. You talked about the kind of link style of link building that, that you do, that we do. It's more kind of outreach. We call it white hat, at least some people might not. But what other kinds of link building have you done, have you done in the past? Were you into any of the kind of gray hat article marketing robot, you know, this, this kind of tools back in the day? So I can remember back in 2010 or 11 or whenever I first tried this, you know, doing all the things that were popular back then. I I wasn't I didn't get deep enough into it back then to actually fully exploit all these tactics, I guess. But I do remember having content spinners and uh, like tools that do like post blog comments and, and stuff like that. But in the period when I was focused on paid traffic and, and Facebook ads, I, I kind of missed out on like I think there was a period of time where all of that style of link building was like the main thing that SEO people would do. And I think I missed out on, on that main period of time when I was focused on paid traffic. So when I came back to SEO, it was pretty much all outreach based link building for, from from the start. Did, did you ever consider PBNs or, or anything like that? PBNs, uh, I think I missed out on them, like just for that period that, that I was away from SEO, uh, I think PBNs were particularly popular then. And when I came back to SEO, uh, like I don't have a moral objection to PBNs or, or anything like that. But when I came back to SEO, I, I was just looking at the different ways to, to do link building, like for my own websites. And it seems like PBNs were just so much work at that stage, particularly because Google had gotten so good at detecting PBNs, I guess. And there's so much you have to do to avoid footprints and it just looked like kind of an expensive and arduous task to have to try and set up like a, a whole PBN. And it just seemed much easier for me to just start sending out a few emails and, and just asking people if I can build links. And it seemed like the links would be higher quality as well, just because they're on real websites. Obviously, we all know PBNs are, are like just as effective uh, as links from real websites as well when, when done in the right way. But uh, yeah, it, it's just what seemed like the, the best fit for me. Yeah, I think there's that kind of, I mean, you, you picked up on it quite well, rather. I think it's that learning curve of PBNs with, with the, you know, big potential downsides of doing it wrong. There's like the, the cost and the risk is, is quite sort of high. If you don't do white hat link building, outreach link building very well in the early days, the penalty for doing it bad is just, you know, some 
bad emails or some not so nice replies maybe, or no replies even. So I think in terms of getting started with, with link building, I always would steer someone away from from PBNs personally, because I think the the risks for someone who doesn't know what they're doing are are quite sort of sort of high. I know plenty of people will probably disagree with me significantly on that, but that's that's a, my position at least. You talked about your agency business that you you have right now. We weoutreach.co, I think is the the URL for anyone that wants to to check it out. Why did you decide to focus on that more than say your affiliate sites? Because I had like the other business before where I was involved in, in doing Facebook ads and things like that, like I already had a basic business structure in place that had like some overheads and things like that. And so I started affiliate websites and the biggest affiliate website I had was making like four and a half or, or five grand a month, something like that after not too long. But by the time I accounted for like my salary out of the business and just kind of the, the other overhead that were in place, like a, a staff member or two and accountancy fees and all, all these sort of things. Um, there wasn't, there was enough from this website to, to pay myself and to pay all of these overheads, but not really much left over to invest more in content and, and links and everything to just grow the website further or to start more websites. And I really didn't want to do content myself i had done some content quite a lot of content for my websites when getting them started but i'm i really just don't like writing and i'm just not good at it and i can't do it consistently and i just can't uh, i'm not very productive like i I can't output a lot of content Uh, and so i wanted a way to make more cash in a different way and so basically a service business model is better than a like the authority site model in one major way for me which is that you can you can sell someone a service and they like pay you the same day and then that's good like obviously you still have to deliver the service but it's really good for cash flow whereas with an authority website you need to like spend six months like after you do your keyword research and everything you spend six months like making content and building links and then hope that you rank and then maybe you rank okay and then you have to optimize and and rank better and then eventually you start getting these cash flow after like six to 12 months or something like that. And so the general idea for me with the service was like, okay, here's a skill that I'm good at that also seems to be in high demand. So I'm good at link building and a lot of people seem to struggle with link building. So why don't I just start a link building service that's, you know, has this nice business model. I can get nice cash flow set up this business, get it to a certain stage where it's kicking off a certain amount of profit every month, and then just take that profit and then be able to reinvest that in in websites or in whatever, you know, invest it wherever I want. Websites obviously is is the the best place for me to invest it now because that's what I understand. And I just think right now is such a good time for SEO and for affiliate marketing and authority websites just I think there's still so much opportunity that it would be silly for me to invest in in anything other than that. But uh, that was the that was the general idea. A little bit of income diversity as well, because the websites I had were uh, mostly focused on Amazon, and things can change quite rapidly with Amazon. Yeah, I think yesterday they just announced another fee change for a few categories. They're reducing. I think it was clothing and a couple of others as well. But yeah. 
diversification away from Amazon, especially once your site's kind of up and running, is it's definitely a thing to to consider. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So let's get in, if we can, to some specifics about link building, because I know a lot of people listening are interested in specifically what you do for link building, how you do it, and all sorts of tips and tricks like that. So can you just give us a quick overview of what your approach to, to link building is? How do you, in 2019, get links? The general approach that I take is to send a lot of emails to a lot of different prospects without looking at them too much beforehand. And then based on who replies to those emails, try and focus more on them and uh, and then build the links from there. So I think that no matter how you send your emails or, or how you do your outreach, whether you look at every single website and you craft like a nice email that's specific to, to every single website, or you just like, scrape a list or scrape a list of, of prospects or websites from Google and then you just email everyone no matter which way you do it there's always like a significant chunk of people that just never reply to your emails for one reason or another either you're not getting to their inbox or they just don't check their emails for some reason or they just don't reply to their emails for some reason some people are, are just that way I guess and so my general approach is to I guess I would describe it as fishing for replies first, and then whoever replies to, to focus more on them and go from there. So that's been the approach that I'm shifting towards for the last few months. It basically boils down to like, so find a list of keywords that's kind of related to the types of websites that I want to build links on, uh, then come up with some kind of, well, obviously we put it through the process, which I guess we can talk about as well of like filtering them and, and finding email addresses and all that kind of thing. And then having some kind of really general template that doesn't mention links or doesn't ask about guest posts or anything like that. It's just some kind of a general question, maybe about their website or, or something along those lines, and then send that out. And whoever replies to that, to that general question, it's like, okay, this person is a, a replier. So now I know that now I know that they are likely to reply to me. Now it's worth my time to actually look at their website and come up with, like if it's a guest post, like look at their website and come up with uh, specific topics that I can suggest to them that are, are tailored for their website. So yeah, so I, I do like a, a shotgun approach to start. And then when people reply to me, then I kind of go in and look at things a little bit more specifically and and try and take it from there yeah just in case anyone's not clear like how uh, i don't know where this shotgun sniper terms originally came from but it, essentially what jason's talking about is traditionally with with outreach a lot of the content sort of four or five years ago around guest posting skyscraper this kind of thing it was focused more on find a list of prospects and spend a lot of time on each prospect personalizing your email so you get a high response rate, you know, 20, 30, 40% response rate, and you can build real relationships and, and all that kind of thing. That's fine. It, it works. And I, th I think there's still a, a very valid place in taking that approach for the higher DR, big authority sites you want to get links from. What Jason's saying is that with lower DR sites, and I'm saying, you know, I say low, I'm talking about anything below 60 or something, maybe even higher than that in some cases. It's far more efficient to kind of automate your prospect, get, not automate, but 
in a quick way using scraping and some other things, which I'm sure we'll get into in just a sec, to, to find a big list of prospects and email them all out, a sort of standard email. And just anyone who replies, then you take the time at that point to start developing the relationship and put a lot of effort into figuring out what they want and, and talking with them that way. So it's a much, you might have a lower success rate, a lower conversion rate, but because you'll be sending a hundred times more emails, you'll get many, many, many more links, at least in our experience, uh, than, than you would have had you, had you gone with the, the sniper approach. So can you just go through what tools you use at the moment? What's your sort of tech stack? We use Ahrefs a lot for various different things. I think most people who are seriously into SEO these days are familiar with uh, Ahrefs. Just to give an example of like a campaign that we were running, um, if so we would use Ahrefs to find the list of keywords. Uh, I think of the list of keywords as like the foundation of any campaign that we run because the you know you run the list of keywords through Google and and the results are going to be your prospects. Yeah, we start with, with a list of keywords, then we use Scrapebox. How do you find the keywords? What specifically are you looking for here? Uh, so with the keywords, I try and find informational keywords because like, there's a lot of keywords out there that you're just not going to get. Like The results for those keywords aren't going to be informational kind of blog content. They're, they're going to be something else, like maybe they're e-commerce kind of style keywords. Or if you're doing, if like, I would also avoid like, affiliate style keywords i would call them like best lawnmower best you know whatever uh, so I, I try and pick keywords that are related to whatever the site is that i'm trying to build links to and also try and focus them on informational keywords so that when when you search them in google the results are actually like like i said like content websites and, and websites that are likely to just have a, a lot of informational content and i think they're the most likely ones to actually like be interested in whatever content you show them and the most interested in, in actually adding your link to their, to their content as well. Uh, and in Ahrefs, there's like a lot of different ways that you can do that. You can use the, the Keywords Explorer, for example. What I much prefer to do is to find a large competitor in, in the space, a large competitor website that's uh, in the same niche that I'm trying to build links to and check the top pages report for them in Ahrefs because if you check the top pages report, you get like a top keyword for each of, of their pages. And the thing is, if you use the Keywords Explorer, Keywords Explorer or the top keywords report, even for a website, you often get a lot of keywords that are very similar and that are going to result in, they're going to bring up basically very, the same sites or the same pages over and over again when you search them in Google. So I like to use the top pages report because you get like unique keywords for each of their pages because you only see one keyword per page. And then they are also, when you search those in Google, it means that because all of those keywords are kind of unique and different, you're going to get a different set of results for each keyword, but also still related to the core topic or the core niche of wherever you're, you're trying to build links. So mm -hmm. that's, that's what I mostly do for finding keywords. It kind of sucks because in that report in Ahrefs, the, the top pages report for the keywords, you can't see the keyword difficulty, which is a little bit unfortunate because the thing with keyword difficulty, so you can see the keyword difficulty in like the Keywords Explorer, for example, 
And the Ahrefs keyword difficulty metric is based on how many links are pointing to the pages that you're, or how many links are, are pointing to the pages that rank in the top 10. And so one way that we gather prospects is by just scraping directly based on keywords, but also then we'll also take all of the results that we scrape for those keywords and we'll export the backlink profiles of those results from Ahrefs as well. So a high KD indicates that there is going to be a lot of referring domains to the results for these keywords, which just means more prospects, basically. Yeah, this is this is a really important point, I think, because when you typically learn how to do keyword research for uh, an authority site, you're looking generally you're looking for lower KD sort of keywords because you want to be able to rank, you want less competition, that's good. But in the case of link building, because the Ahrefs KD metric is 100% based on the number of uh, referring domains to the top 10 results of the SERP, that means that it's uh, you can kind of invert it and then use it. A high KD will indicate a lot of potential links that you can, or a lot of potential prospects for your link building. So it's, it's so valuable that as an approach yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, also sometimes I will just use the Keyword Explorer or the like top keywords report for for a, a big website in the niche, and you can do that as well, and you can like filter by KD, and that's really nice. And it, as well, so I the reason I like the top pages report is because you get unique keywords, so it's just easier to really quickly scan down through that report and just pick out keywords and you know like keywords that are informational and you know they're all going to be pretty different from each other because they're for different pages but if you use one of the keyword reports either you can you can filter by kd which is nice and then if you're using scrapebox that like sometimes if you really want to take like a, a, like a really broad approach you could just search some kind of keyword in the keywords explorer and then go to the phrase match tool or, or go to any of those tools and just export the whole list so you could even do thousands of keywords if you wanted if you're using scrapebox because so you'll get a lot of keywords that are similar and that will have the same results but scrapebox is uh, like if you have a a proper proxy setup with with scrapebox i like a a proxy service called storm proxies and if you search on youtube there's a guy called loopline i think that has really good tutorial videos about how to set up scrapebox so that you can scrape effectively in 2019 but you can yeah, you could take hundreds of keywords and just plug them all into Scrapebox, leave it running overnight. You could even do thousands of keywords, really. Uh, and then, yeah, once it's finished, you can. There's like just a quick button that you can just filter out all all the duplicates, and then you just have a list like that. The only thing with that is, it, it's easy to go a little bit too broad, and to because if you don't check every single keyword that you're adding to your scrape list, you probably are going to end up with some irrelevant keywords. So yes, and that will and that will mean that when you do your scrape, you also end up with some irrelevant prospects, which is actually okay depending on how you're sending your emails. Uh, but I guess we can we can get into that uh, a little bit later. But generally, that that's how I how I find prospects, and uh, I think there's several different ways to do it based on different ways to find keywords, and then how many keywords you find, and the different ways you're scraping, and and things like that. Mm-hmm. So you're using Scrapebox just to find the actual URLs from the SERPs or to find additional keywords as well? No, no, sorry, just just to find the URLs. So yeah. um cool. Yeah, I, I just want to add to that. So 
If you don't want to set up Scrapebox for whatever reason, it's a really good tool, by the way. Uh, and there, there are actually many, many different uses for it, uh, not just for, for scraping the SERPs, but there's lots of other cool stuff you can do for like finding email addresses and stuff. It, you can actually use Ahrefs to sort of scrape keywords as well. Um, so scrape SERP results as well. At the moment, so we're recording this in April 2019, they've updated the Keyword Explorer to version 3, but it's not like fully, I think it's like version 3 beta or something because version 2 of Keyword Explorer, which you can still access, I believe, in Ahrefs, you can export the top 100 SERP for any keyword that it has in there from there. So if you only want, if you only have like a handful of keywords to to export to scrape, you can you can do it through Ahrefs and it sort of works really well. It's, it's quite quick. Just a a little tip there for anyone who's who's kind of maybe not doing this on quite the same scale that that, that Jason is. Now that you've found a list of potential prospects, what do you do next? So the next thing is filtering the list a little bit. So uh, because we do so much outreach and we're sending so many emails and getting so many responses, we have quite a lot of data about a lot of websites. I think we have like a, a master list of 500,000 websites or something like that. That has So it's just a combination of, of all the data that we've gathered, like email addresses and also kind of uh, statuses from campaigns. So we have like a status for if someone replied or if someone told us to fuck off or, or whatever. Uh, and then we have like a, a blacklist as well. And so we basically filter the list uh, against all of these things. And it's just a little bit more efficient because for example, if two months ago, we've, we've already like found an email address for a certain prospect, there's no point in us paying to use like the Hunter API to find that email address again although actually i think hunter might save them and so maybe you don't pay but anyway we compare it against it does but maybe just for a short period of time uh, I, don't, I don't definitely don't think it does it forever okay well, yeah I, i've never looked into it properly to be honest but we just have a, a big like excel sheet and we um we compare all, all of our prospect lists against that just to see what data we have about the prospects already uh, and then we also have like a, a basic blacklist to remove things like domain extensions that we just don't want, like .in or .pk or, or whatever. So we only have like .com, .uk, all these like like tier one geos, I would say. So yeah, we, we filter like that. And then after that, we whoever we don't have contact information for, we put that list into Hunter to try and get the information. This is hunter.io. It's a, it's a tool for finding email addresses basically you can there are several out there but i think at the moment hunter is the only one where you can put in a domain name and that that's it and it'll give you all the email addresses it can find for for that domain and it, it is really good the, i don't know if you've tested others but we've consistently found that the quality of the data in hunter is just pretty much unmatched yeah i, I i've never tested thoroughly i've played with some other ones and just even without doing a, a proper test, you can already tell that the data quality is a little bit iffy, whereas Hunter has always been pretty good. And as well, the other thing about Hunter is that you can, uh, like, it's not like you have to search one at a time. They have, like, the bulk tool, so you can just import a list of however many websites you want, and it will find email addresses for all of them in, like, a few seconds. So uh, it, it's really good for that. 
What, what sort of percentage rate of, e- like, what percentage of domains that you input to Hunter does it find email addresses for? Because it, it doesn't find them all, like, because it just doesn't have them all. We found it, it varies depending on niche, somewhere between 30 to 60%, usually around sort of 40, 50. Well, how, how are you finding it these days? The exact same range, yeah. In and around half, I would say, and plus or minus 10. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the thing about the email addresses is that you also need to verify their deliverability as well. Hunter has a tool for that, I think, but we use Neverbounce because uh, the nice thing about Neverbounce is you can, so it's Neverbounce is the same thing. You can just take a big list of URLs uh, or sorry, a big list of email addresses and import them into Neverbounce. And then it has like some kind of a way to check if they're, like deliverable like if the email address is active or if an email is, is going to bounce or something like that so we verified the deliverability of the email addresses with never bounce and if you're doing a lot of outreach never bounce has uh, like large bulk packages so you can buy like five hundred thousand credits or a million credits or something like that and the rate per credit uh, gets lower when you buy big packages like that so for us, it's just much cheaper than using the Hunter tool. So we verify the deliverability there. And that usually cuts out, it depends on the email list, but it, it cuts down the number of emails like significantly more, I would say. Probably by, there's probably like 60 or 70% of, of emails that are deliverable, maybe a little bit lower. That cuts it down again. So, yeah, I mean, I can see this as like, this is all really a numbers game. I mean, you're, you're talking about having a million credits for that. You, you must do so pretty big volumes with, uh, with all of this. When it comes to actually sending the emails, do you have any kind of, uh, I take it you use Mailshake as your sending tool, by the way. Is that right? Yeah, for the most part, yeah. Do you have issues with kind of being able to send only a certain number a day or warming up accounts and, and, and that kind of thing? Yeah, I would call this the largest challenge of running outreach campaigns is sending large volumes of emails with decent deliverability. It's still something I'm working on right now. But uh, so like Google Suite accounts, for example, are a a real pain because when we get a new client, we also need new Google Suite accounts because even if a client has a Google Suite account, like I don't like to use their main account just because we're when you're sending so many emails, there's always a risk that you like diminish the sending quality of the domain. And so that can obviously have like long lasting impacts for an authority website, especially if they're, even if they're not doing email marketing now, maybe they want to do email marketing in the future. And yeah, we really don't want to mess around with the quality of their, of their sending. So we'll usually register like a secondary version of the domain, like a .NET version or something like that. Um, So if it's client.com, we'll just register client.net and we'll set up a Google Suite account under that. And then like you said, warming up Google Suite accounts is like a real pain in the ass. And that's, that's, it's really, it's the biggest challenge because at the start, like you can only send 30 emails a day or something like that for the first week. And then it basically takes like, a few months really to get up to like 150 to 200 emails per day, which is where we really need to be for most clients. Yeah, I can imagine, uh, you know, speaking for ourselves, I mean, we, we just work on our own websites and we just have 
a handful of these accounts, there are or most of them at least are, are already warmed up. So we don't have to sort of continually fight that battle. But I imagine working with as many clients as you do that you probably have to uh, you know go through that process a lot and sort of manage the client's expectations as to why it's not happening kind of immediately. And that must be that must be pretty tough. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a warm-up period and I, I try and communicate that to everyone and most of the clients kind of they know what's going on. Like anyone who kind of works with me is doing it because they understand the way that I build links and and for the most part they could do it themselves really. It's just they don't want to have to go through and figure it out, but they understand kind of these kind of challenges and that it can take a time or it can take a while to to get things fully warmed up and in place. But in terms of this is something that I'm going through just now, just trying to, f- to figure out more about deliverability and stuff. There's other ways to send emails too. Uh, for example, sometimes we use, there's another tool that's similar to Mailshake called Woodpecker. And the nice thing about Woodpecker is that you can connect it to an SMTP server like uh, SendGrid is the one that we use. I think there's another one called Mailgun or something like that. There's, there's a whole bunch and with that you can send much higher volumes of emails like straight away so within if you get a brand new SendGrid ip address within like a week you can be sending thousands of emails a day and within two weeks you can be sending like fifteen thousand emails a day if you wanted to uh, but the trade-off there is that the trade-off there is that the deliverability isn't as good as with google suite accounts so you can send more emails but the deliverability isn't as good do you have any like numbers around that? Like how much worse is it percentage wise? Say, It's hard to measure deliverability. Uh, there's a tool called Glock apps. So it's a tool. They have like a list of like 50 email addresses that they, that they control. And so you can take these list of email addresses and send an email to all of them. So basically make a campaign with the email addresses that they give you. And the emails are, some of them are Gmail addresses, they're AOL addresses, Hotmail addresses, and, various other uh, large email provider uh, addresses and so you can you can run tests in glock apps and you can see for which providers you're ending up in the spam folder and for which you're ending up in the inbox and so on Uh, and so the main difference with sendgrid is just there's certain inboxes i can't remember them off the top of my head but there's certain inboxes that it's hard to or certain sorry certain uh, email providers that it's hard to get into the inbox with using SendGrid and then with Google accounts either Gmail or G Suite uh, there's just the deliverability is just a little bit better overall but I don't really have specific numbers for that but just on talking about the different email providers something that I really am trying to look into now is finding uh, like scraping which email provider each prospect is using before we start sending the campaigns because then, so like I said, one of the biggest challenges is actually being able to send a decent volume of emails. So we can we can scrape and prepare massive lists of prospects, but actually getting the emails to their inbox is the real challenge. And so because there's certain email providers that like SendGrid, like these email providers accept a lot of emails. So when you have a SendGrid IP address, the, these prospects that work with I can't think, I, I don't know specifically which email providers that they uh, these are because there's a lot of them. But when you send with SendGrid, these email providers will just accept all the emails that you send. And so basically what I want to try and figure out now is to prepare 
or add gather that data so the email providers for each prospect gather that data before running the campaign and then we can sort that data and whoever is with an email provider that it it's easy to deliver email to from SendGrid we can just add all those to SendGrid and then for the ones that are a bit tougher to get into the inbox for where we need the the higher quality or the higher quality of a Google Suite account we can just use those in in the Google Suite account yeah, that's really smart, actually. That's like preempting the deliverability settings of, of each provider and, and matching it up. That's very clever. Yeah, I haven't fully implemented it yet because it's not the same as... It's just it's just something that, like with all of this, it, it all involves like setting up new parts of, of the process and figuring out new Excel formulas or Google Sheet formulas and and just different ways to manage the data and and actually utilize it effectively in the campaigns. But that's what I'm thinking about right now. And and I think even beyond that, there's certain, like, for example, even when you're using Google Suite accounts, it's hard to get into the inbox of other people who are using like Google Suite or even using Gmail to manage their email inboxes. Google is just like, either they send you to spam or they put you in like promotions or the promotions tab. So it's really, really difficult to get into the inbox for for Google. And so, but if you have this mail provider data before you even start sending the campaigns, I think it could be possible to, so whatever is the easiest, you just blast that out with SendGrid because it's all going to get through anyway. Then like what the next layer of difficulty, but that you can still get delivered using Google Suite, you can use your limited Google Suite volume to, to contact those. And then for the ones that are just super difficult to get into the inbox for at all, like anyone using uh, Google to manage their mail, I think it might be possible. Or So whoever is using Google and who also has like a high Dior or something like that, like they're a particularly good prospect, those are the ones that I would kind of move to another side and, and figure out a more high quality way to, to approach them, like maybe send from a different Gmail or G Suite account that isn't connected to this kind of like spammy approach where we're sending 200 emails a day that are all basically the exact same or or just some kind of other higher quality more personalized manual kind of tactic just to get to the inbox yeah i will say as well like that's like super advanced and a very very clever the the approach you're you're taking i'm sure a lot of the people even myself like who's been doing this for years i i didn't even think of do, of that approach that's really clever but I would say that if you're new to link building, don't let this, I mean, this might sound so super scary, like, oh my God, like, what does that even mean? But at its core, what Jason is talking about so far with, you know, finding a list of prospects, finding their their contact info, using Mailshake to, to contact them at a basic level, it's actually quite simple. It's all these kind of like advanced tactics you, you end up getting into after you've been sending probably in your case, hundreds of thousands of, of outreach messages to to prospects to sort of gain that extra, you know, few percent efficiency over time that, that kind of constantly stack up really. So if you're new and this scares you off, don't let it. It's it's something you can you will sort of build up to over time. That's a really good point. And I have a tendency because I spend all my time thinking about this sort of thing all day, every day. Like I have a tendency to forget how simple it can be, especially if you're only doing it for your own websites. Like a lot of the reason for me having to think about this is because I'm working with clients and, and running a service and I need to be concerned with like the margins of this service. So when a lot of people 
like for a lot of people when you're doing lower volumes of link building you don't need to like you said like eke out these extra few percentage points of efficiency and another part of the reason for that is if you're building links to your own website you get like all the upside of that link so when you build links like you rank for your keywords and then you get the revenue from whatever types of keywords you're you're generating whereas when i build a link i it costs me a certain amount to build the link and then i just get the cost per link from the client and that's it so it's a lot different for for me as as a service so i i probably should have yeah pre-qualified all that stuff by saying that yeah so i i just want to move on if we can to the actual outreach message like what you're saying to to your prospects because i think you said earlier that you didn't specifically ask for a link and you were just trying to kind of establish ask a more general question can you maybe talk about your approach there for a little bit yeah sure sometimes we ask for a link and Mostly last year, I, I used to do that, or even the year before, uh, where I would be more direct in saying what we want. But again, when you're working with clients, there's a bunch of different variables so that, that we can't control. So for example, uh, we used to send a, a template that would be something like, like for a skyscraper campaign, for example. We would say, hey, like I see you have this page on your website, and we have this similar page here, and, and you link to your to your own page, and then say, you know, maybe this would be a nice extra resource for your readers and maybe you'd consider adding a link. But with that, you're really dependent on the, the quality of the content from the client. And then it also changes across all the different niches as well. It's just, I would say, like for me as an agency, it's not a, a very consistently reliable approach for building links uh, for a number of different reasons. And so what I'm tending much more towards now is just kind of a more general approach where you have like a really generic compliment, for example, where you say like, hey, nice website or hey, love your content or or even things like if you know your prospect list is at least somewhat relevant, like if you have a basketball website and, and you've used keywords that are related to basketball to find your list of prospects. So you can be reasonably sure that 80 or 90% of the websites are going to have something to do with basketball. You can say something like, hey, I was doing some research for basketball and, you know, we have this, uh, we're a, a large basketball publication or something like that. And I was just wondering who manages the content at your website or something like that. And it's just a way to see like who, who responds. So you're not kind of, so yeah, that's the approach I take. And then whoever responds, we focus on them a little bit more. Another reason that I'm focused more on that approach now is I think there's a lot of people who are sending uh, like low quality outreach where they're directly like, hey, give link, please, sort of like really direct like that. And I think a lot of websites, particularly bigger ones that have like a lot of exposure in search engines. So they're being found a lot by different people who are, are using keywords to scrape. I think they're getting a lot of emails like this that are just really upfront asking for links and uh, yeah, so I'm just trying to take a slightly different approach as well and make it seem a little bit more kind of high quality, I guess. That's generally the approach that I would take to templates. That's interesting, actually, because uh, I mean, we, we take the other approach where we're very much about asking for the link straight away. And I remember in, in health, that was like we tested it and that was like by far the best approach to take. We just got like so many more links. This was maybe a year and a half, two years ago, though. So it may have changed, as you said, since since then. 
but I noticed it was very different in in tech when we were doing that. So I'm I'm wondering if this might be like a niche sort of specific approach that the people need to take, sort of depending on what they're in, because there's there's definitely like a lot of people who are who are as you say are getting a bit jaded by all the the low quality outreach out there, and I guess more people, more site owners are becoming familiar with with what it is, and maybe even by their owners are being told to people are being told to just ignore them or something. Um, actually, that's a good point. Have you noticed response rates or or link placement rates going down in recent years or recent months? Or what, what's sort of the trend in the industry at the moment? I haven't noticed any major difference, to be honest. I think it still works. Like It's still an effective way to build links. It's kind of hard to say as well, though, because uh, like I'm all the time trying to improve my systems as well and improve efficiency in, in other ways, like all of that email provider stuff that I talked about and so even if overall the effectiveness of the strategy was going down if you're working on the effectiveness of your actual system you won't necessarily follow that downtrend as well so yeah but overall I haven't seen any major difference to be honest have you seen any difference no, not really, to be honest, either. I think that maybe that's the point. Like a lot of the time, if you're just doing the same thing over and over again for many, many years and more people are coming into the market, more you know, companies like yourself are providing a service that's, that's doing it, there's just more, more people doing outreach then, and you're not changing anything, then of course, efficiency is going to go down. Then you have to be sort of constantly improving but I, I do wonder if there's also a fact that generally when you start link building there's a lot of sort of easy low-hanging fruit that you can gather for want of a better word and, and get those those easy links quite quickly so it can seem that the sort of conversion rates are are mega high but then the more you do it you can kind of start to run out of keywords and topics within certain niches if you if you do this sort of you know over a couple of years and you're publishing lots of content I, we didn't really have that problem in health but uh with a tech site we had recently we, we definitely sort of started to struggle eventually to find good keywords for to do uh, like prospecting in so i don't know maybe maybe that has something to do with it as well yeah uh, yeah i think it probably does and it's like you said it, it's totally different for different niches as well some are just much more difficult than others yeah. Do you work in any like super difficult niches or do you do you tend to avoid sort of casinos and those kind of things? I definitely avoid like the most difficult ones like casino or, or pharma or anything like that. Lately, I'm also avoiding other, I'm, I'm filtering potential clients a lot more based on their niche than I would have before. I think when I first started the service, I made a conscious this decision to just take on most clients to also like to allow myself to learn the different niches and what my process works for and what it doesn't. And I have a pretty good idea of the types of niches where we're good at building links now. And it's also a thing of, because we work with more and more clients in these kind of same niches, we start to gather a lot more information about the websites in these niches. So we know even before we start a campaign, like we can get a list of prospects that are likely to reply to us. And so we can put more effort into sending emails to, to those people and stuff like that. But some difficult niches like the finance niche, I think, is like huge, but it's also quite difficult to build links, particularly with like certain parts of the finance niche. Like if it's about like investing kind of stuff, 
I just think that's an example of a really difficult niche or like manufacturing. I have a client that I would like kind of has like a, a manufacturing website, I would say, like kind of a large company and they have high quality content and everything like that. But there's just not that many websites out there or like blogs that are casually talking about like advanced manufacturing techniques and things. So yeah, it's definitely difficult for different niches and every niche is different as well. Like, like you said, like different styles of outreach work better in some niches than in others. And yeah, there's really a ton of variables. When people respond, when they respond to your initial outreach, what do you then say? How do you begin the discussion around getting a link and how do you eventually translate that to a, a link? When someone responds, it's like, it's a clear sign to me that, well, like the first thing is I'll check the website of the person that responds, make sure it's relevant, make sure the DR is good, like make sure they have some organic traffic I'm usually looking for as well. And just kind of assessing the overall quality of the website and the value of that link. And then based on that, I'll decide how much effort I should put into getting the link from there. And usually I'll try and like look at their website and come up with something like a really authentic way to respond to them like uh, like to give an example that i can remember from recently there was i can't remember the niche exactly but it was someone that had they had off like a, a physical location in california or some state in america i can't actually remember but uh you could see all this and i think they delivered courses there as well and sorry she was a tv host as well on a specific network in one of the states in america and so i said something like Hey, I was I was in Iowa for a wedding last weekend, and I just so happened to see you on TV. Like, great show! Like, looks like you're doing re- really well with that. And like, maybe ask a question about it, uh, and then from there, kind of move into. So, like, the reason I was emailing is we have this website, and here's like a piece of content that we have. And I see you have this other piece of content on your website that's kind of related, uh, and maybe like you would add us as a resource to or link to us from that article or whatever. Um, so. I kind of think of it like a um, a sales letter or, or like the email that I send, I think of it like a mini landing page in a way. And I, I try and get their attention at the start and just make it seem kind of really authentic. I actually came across their website somewhere and decided to email them. Uh, it's not always as easy as the example I, I gave. And sometimes I don't put that much effort into it either. Again, it depends on the value of the link and the quality of the website. But I, I try and do something like that to engage them a little bit at the start of the email and then gradually bring them down like step by step to the call to action at the end of the email. So there's a little bit of engagement at the start and then, hey, so I see you have this piece of content and we have this similar piece like you might be interested in it. Maybe you want to check it out. And then at the end, if you like it, maybe maybe you'd add a link. And so we don't ask in the initial email that we send, like I said earlier, we're not asking about links or anything like that. but in when someone responds to us and when I look at the website and I see that it's a link that's worth pursuing and worth putting effort into, then the goal after that is in the first email, asking for a link very directly there because I also don't want to get into a situation where I'm just having like casual chit chat back and forth with this person for 10 emails before we start talking about a link. And that might be worth it if you have your own website. And because again, the value of the link is much higher for you because if it's a good link, like it, it helps you rank for your keywords and, and you get the full return on the time and resources invested in getting this link. But for me, I, the, the only return I get for a link is whatever the client is paying me per link. So 
I don't want to invest too heavily. So it's it's kind of a balance, I guess. What are some of the things in terms of this negotiation discussion kind of thing? What are some of the things that you do now that you've learned that you didn't do at the start? One of the big ones is at the start, I wasn't paying for links. Were you following our advice? <laughs> I mean, pretty much. But it was also just looking at it myself. Like I had this like suspicion about Google that they don't like you paying for links. And so maybe it's best avoided. But over time, and again, it kind of comes back to me being an agency, the fact that I have this limited return per link. And over time, I started to see all these responses where it's like a really good website and it would be like a really good link. They're just not going to add it for free. Like no matter how good the content I'm showing them is, like they just won't add it for free. But if I give them $25, they'll add the link. And so it just looking at it like that, it, it was just inefficient for me to not pay for certain links. And it's not like I pay for every link. The, the main thing, and whether I'm trying to build a free link or whether I'm paying for a link, the main thing is that the website meets our quality criteria first. And then if it meets our quality criteria, uh, then yeah, uh, paying for a link, I, I think is is an effective way to, to get the link. And it's kind of nice as well, because as soon as you email someone and they learn that you want a link and they say, okay, well, like we charge for links, as soon as they mention that, you can kind of drop the bullshit in a way. You, you don't need to be, oh, like I was in Iowa for a wedding. It just becomes completely transactional. And they say, okay, like I, I want $50 for a link. And then I'll come back and say, oh, well, how about $15? Uh, if you're buying links, I think usually like try and lowball people as much as you can. Uh, and then usually settle somewhere in, in, in the middle of those two things. And, and then you get it just makes it easy. You just pay what them. Sort of, what sort of price do, does it cost? And do you find like more, like higher DR sites, they're much more expensive or how do the cost scale basically? It doesn't correlate so well with Dior, uh, I think generally. I think a lot of people don't, don't really know what their link is worth. They just know that there's a lot of people emailing them asking for links and maybe they can ask for some money in return because it seems like there's a lot of demand. and. Yeah, so how in, like how much I'll pay for a link is based on the value of the link. And also there's some practical restrictions in that, again, I have margins to maintain uh, as like a service provider. And so there's only so much I can pay for a link. But there's a lot of people out there who have like nice websites, bloggers that, that do well, like they have Dior 50, 60 websites. And sometimes they come back and say, oh, like, yeah, $45 for a link for like a Dior 60 link is like, an incredible deal especially like if they have a decent amount of organic traffic and stuff as well and then obviously you come back and say oh well how about 10 and then you get it for like 25 or something like that so i think there's a lot of people are willing to move a lot on the price and they're not really they don't really know what the link is worth and and so you can there's a lot of wiggle room i think and there's obviously other people who do know uh, and then they'll come back and say oh yeah 500 dollars for a link and then they just won't budge from that at all and so, yeah, it, it's obviously more, more, I wouldn't even bother with those, but yeah, there's a lot of people who are just website owners. They're not like professional site owners. Like we would be a lot of times or, or maybe they are, but they're not professional. It's just like a side hustle kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And, and so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of opportunity, I think, to get really good deals if you pay for links. Yeah. So I, I just want to sort of add our position to, to that because it's slightly different. Uh, so we don't pay for any links at all. 
at the moment, at least. That may change in future, but let's see. The reason for that was because way, way back in the day, I'm talking like 2012, 13, we used to have a link building agent. We used to have a, a digital marketing agency, and a big part of that was selling link building services to, to people, mostly guest posting. And with our team, which was, so I think it was like 12, 13 people just doing the guest posting side of thing. We were okay with paying like sponsored fees, I think they were called, or placement fees, whatever, of 10, 20, 30 bucks sometimes, depending on the, the quality. And back then, what happened though was that our team stopped even asking for free links and they ended up just going like going straight in with the money offer. And so we ended up paying for, you know, 99% of the links. And that actually like really hurt our our efficiency and our margins and everyone just kind of got a little bit lazy and stopped trying new things and ended up just, it was just basically a race to see how much it would cost and then just pay it. So I would just warn anyone who's, who is paying for links and I, I'm not like morally against it in any way. Really. I just, I don't advise it to beginners, to newbies because I think it's a, it's a very slippery slope you may end up not actually developing any of the other link building skills that you you need to to find or to to acquire certain links. That that may be fine. You you may not ever need them, but I feel like there's a, a set of skills around getting free links, which you, you, you it's it's worth kind of keeping sharp, so to speak. Yeah, that's kind of our position on it at the moment, at least. Yeah, I, I agree as well. I think as well, especially if you're new. There's a lot like there are a lot of websites that will accept money for links, but that are just like shit websites. So you actually need to be good at assessing the quality of the website. So, yeah, if you just start sending emails and start paying everyone who asks you, probably your link profile for your website overall is going to be a little bit shit just because, yeah, you have all, all of these low quality websites. But as well, the, the other thing is when we're doing outreach campaigns, like we always we never mention a price until the prospect does because there's a certain segment of prospects just in general that will only add links if you pay them and like when you email them you can just take the normal approach like trying to uh, use this skill set like you talked about and or build them in like a more natural way and if they're not interested in that like they'll let you know by saying hey like quoting you a price for a link or something like that and so once they start the conversation and once they make it the transactional sort of style, then you can go from there and, and maybe talk and, and try and make a deal. Yeah. The other thing I was actually going to say on that is that a lot of beginners who perhaps like don't have much budget and, you know, they're writing all the content and doing as much of the work as possible themselves with their sites, they're like, we, we talk about link building, like, oh, well, you need to spend money, you need to buy links. And, and we kind of set ourselves up in this position of never paying for links in that sense, never paying placement fees or anything, so that we can show these people, look, you, you don't have to do it. It's something which some people choose to, and in certain circumstances, it, it may be more efficient or it may work, but it's you can do it without it. I think there's a common I guess misperception these days that you can only do link building if you if you if you're you're paying for it basically. I don't know. Maybe you can answer this question. Like, what percentage of links would you say are go through that placement fee these days? Oh, uh, again, it differs so much based on so many different variables, like the niche being. Yeah, I guess the niche is a big deal for that. Yeah. Yeah, but but also like the quality of your content as well. Like, if you have a website that is just 
pure affiliate content and like no original images, like nothing unique and that stands out about your website, you can still build links by by paying for links. And it's going to be much more difficult to build those free links. So like a lot of it comes down to the quality of your content as well. Like I have some clients that are like have large websites and put like a lot of effort into every single post on their website. And they're so much easier to build free links for just because every single post is just so good. And as soon as a prospect clicks to the website, they can they can see that immediately. They can see the branding and, and they read the article you send them and they can see that it's just super high quality. In cases like that, even if it's a type of prospect that will only add a link if you pay them, you can still kind of use the quality of the content as kind of leverage. Like an angle I'll try and use a lot is like, like, hey, like I understand you want uh, like a placement fee for our link. Like that's totally fine. I get where you're coming from. But like you looked at our content, right? Like you can see it's super good. We invest a lot of resources in making our content really good. And like it genuinely would be a good resource for your readers. So although your fee is normally $90, maybe you can do some kind of a deal here because we really don't have that much extra budget because we put so much effort into into our content. So it depends a lot on the quality of, of your content and of your brand as well, I would say. Interesting. So do you normally get a significant reduction on the initial price that's offered? Yeah, yeah, almost always. There's some crazy examples. Like someone just, usually people just throw out a number like, sure, you can have a link $130 and then I'll come back and say, oh, well, how about 15? And then you end up getting it for like 20 or $30 or, or, some, or something like that. So yeah, you can get massive discounts. Yeah, I guess for the blogger, the missed opportunity of not getting that is, you know, it's not as if there's another customer that's going to take that same link that you're going to buy. I mean, they, they have unlimited links essentially that they can sell. They'd probably be a bit more willing to negotiate because of that. That's that's interesting though. So, so can we talk about any other kind of link building tactics? Have, have you done any kind of like Haro stuff or like broken link building resource page, you know, this this kind of stuff? Uh, so I haven't done Harrow. It's something, again, that I am kind of looking into right now and uh, that I want to look into a little bit more over the next few weeks and months. I also, like, I've never specifically done uh, like a resource page or a broken link building campaign, but I kind of use those tactics in a way as part of my uh, normal campaigns. So like we talked about earlier, the kind of style that I'm using is to fish for responses first and then take it from there. After I get a response, then I kind of choose whatever is the most appropriate or the most likely way that we'll be able to get a link based on that specific prospect. So if I see they have a resource page and I think that's the best shot at getting a link, then I'll try and find a page on our client's website that's suitable to be added to this resource page. And I'll sort of structure the rest of the conversation around that. Or with broken links, like you can use those in different ways, either like just alerting someone to a broken link and then saying like, by the way, you know, I've done you a favor here. I have this link or I have this piece of content here. Maybe you, you want to check it out. And then you can kind of barter for a link in that way. And then obviously sometimes if you see a broken link and my client has a piece of content that's our direct replacement for that link, then I'll, I'll try and do that. I would add to that that Ahrefs is a fantastic tool for for this for for finding broken links. Because every single website in existence has loads of broken links. It's just it happens all the time. And if you go into Site Explorer and look for outgoing links that are 
that are broken. There's actually like a specific tab in, in Ahrefs for that. You can always find them. And it's a really good kind of, as Jason said, point of value that you can inject, even if that's not like the main purpose of the link building campaign. But you can say like, oh, did you know these links on these pages are, are broken? And people are like, oh, thanks for that. And it just kind of like gives you, you've given them some value. And uh, it's not as if they like specifically owe you back something for it. But I think they're more likely to, to sort of reciprocate value in, in that sense. And if you're, it's a good opportunity then to, to ask for a link, as, as you said. Yeah, I think it's like, um, uh, like there's a basic sales principle, which is that if someone likes you, they're more likely to buy from you. And I, it's, this is perfectly in line with that. I think I scratch your back, you scratch my back sort of a thing. And there's other things like that. I think I heard Gail mention on podcast recently with Charles. Sometimes he'll like, give some basic SEO tips to prospects or something like that. And, you know, just another way to add some value and help them out and, and make them like you. Uh, and then then you kind of have your in and then you can start to talk about it. We have this page, like maybe you give us a link. I think you just look at the prospect website and whatever is the most appropriate or most uh, like the most likely way that you think you can get a link, just pursue that particular strategy. Yeah. I think a lot of people have kind of, they they feel maybe a little bit inauthentic by doing these kinds of things, but almost everything we're talking about here is actually genuinely helping out another site or another site owner. So, uh, you know, I know it's a fear that I sort of had when I first got into link building that, oh, they're going to see through this and they're going to realize I just want a link and they're going to sort of find out my my secret if if, if it even was that. But it's just something you kind of like have to get over a little bit, I think. And um, the more you do it, the less it sort of really becomes a big deal and it ends up just sort of becoming about, well, numbers really, what's my efficiency rate? I actually had a really good example of Kevin from the AH Pro Facebook group. He made a post recently where he was on some TV show. I think it was in the U.S., or maybe it was Germany, can't, can't quite remember, but he has a gardening site. He's been on the podcast before and he was just doing some outreach. And he one of the responses was from some kind of person who knew someone who had some TV show and like the relationship sort of went from there. And yeah, he ended up being on TV from that link building outreach. So, you know, anything really is possible with, with this kind of stuff, not just about the, the DR of the link at the end of the day. So, yeah. Yeah, de- definitely. And I would say as well, there's a lot like a lot of the way I've talked about things today is from like the agency perspective. But when you're doing outreach, that's a really good example. Like you never know what sort of partnerships can come from doing outreach. And yeah, there's just a lot more, like I said earlier, like a lot more value when you're doing the outreach for your own brand and your own website, because not only because you get the full value of the links, but also it's more worth your while to put extra effort into opportunities like this, where you get some other sort of partnership or even like affiliate deals and, and all kinds of different things. So I think outreach is a really good tool. When we were doing it in health, you used to get quite a few people who would have health products want to send us free samples. So you used to get all sorts of uh, random deliveries of weird and wonderful kind of like teas and oils and fancy stuff like that. So, you know, r- really it, it ends up being quite random when you're when you're doing this for your, your own site, the amount of kind of ways it can go from sort of starting just a simple discussion with someone on about trying to get a link. So, yeah. Obviously you get the other side of it as well. Like you do get some people who are pissed off or whatever, but for the most part, it's just they're having a bad day or whatever, and you kind of get used to responses like that. So 
I know a lot of people are put off by that initially and like I was too like it used to make me kind of nervous and stuff like am I damaging a brand here or, or is this going to turn into something that's just going to be just awkward and and yeah damaging overall but rarely it is you just say sorry or you just ignore the email and that's usually the end of it for the most part okay so i'm keen to sort of start wrapping it up now because we've been talking for what an hour and 20 minutes so it's, it's quite a long one this one <laughs> i thought i suspected it would be is there anything that that i haven't asked you today that you think i should have asked you that uh, our listeners would would want to know about link building about link building services anything like that I would say think hard about if someone tells you they're a white hat link building service, I would think hard about what that means. Uh, Or if someone says they're an outreach link building service, because a lot of times they can be technically an outreach service in that they're sending emails to build you links. But within those two things, a lot of people use those phrases for different things. Like there's particularly guest posting services, there's a lot out there that label themselves as white hat, but they just have basically like a network of of websites that they know will take a fee for a link. And they're just, uh, yeah, you know, building guest posts on on those websites and paying them a fee. And and then you get your link, which is fine. Like not those links can work and everything, but it's just to make sure that it fits in with, with your strategy. So I would just say to try and have an understanding of the different ways that people do this sort of white hat, like outreach link building and and just be a little bit careful and, and understand what you're buying. And just I would add to that as well that I really don't like the phrase white hat. I kind of think that 95% of link builders are like some shade of gray and there's very few that are on pure white hat or and very few that are pure Black hat? Maybe that's not true about black hat. I don't know. But I think most people. <laughs> There's call, definitely some call. people who are pure black hat, in my view. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know, but, know um, what you mean, though, because like um, I think Charles, who says this quite a lot, is like anything to do with manipulating search results, which at the end of the day is anything to do with SEO or any kind of marketing, is against Google's terms of service, according to how his interpretation of it. I, I don't necessarily fully agree with with that but what he's trying to say i think his message is that there's it's all shades of gray some being a lot more gray than others but uh, and, and where you draw the line is is kind of hard to describe with a simple word such as a white gray black yeah i think it all comes down to like just managing your risk basically um, i'd probably be pretty much on the same page as charles with that so yeah cool okay jason malone from we outrage Thank you very much for your your time today. This was a this was a long one. I'm sure a lot of people got a ton of value. I know I got at least one super good link building tip around the deliverability, you know, with specific send services to specific domains. I'm going to be looking into that in the not too distant future, I think. And I'm sure there's a lot of newbies out there who were amazed and enthralled at the world of link building and what's possible really. So yeah, thank you very much for your time. It's weoutreach.co. Is that that's your domain, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I, I guess if anyone wants to chat, the best way would be just email Jason at weoutreach.co. Excellent. Uh, so if you're in the market for any, I'm not going to use a, a color word here, but any kind of outreach style links, then you can contact Jason and he'll he'll hook you up there. Thanks again, Jason. And thanks to everyone that tuned in today. We'll be back next Monday with another episode. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.